Hello and welcome to the studio. I'm Peter Stjanovic and this is Tracking Technology Trends and Innovation in a Downturn. Andy, I'm going to come to you first, if I may. When we think about some of those um, technologies, solutions, Metaverse, Web 3.0 that we've been hearing a lot about recently, should we think about shelving them or do you think there's an opportunity for them to become more mainstream um, moving forward in the near future? At times like this, you've got to be thinking about how to continue and protect your core business. So to how do you help your business um, survive in a, in a really challenging environment? I think we've got a really challenging set of times um, we've been going through and we still continue to go through. But you have to find some space to be thinking about what works for your business and whatever that is. In, in my case, as a low-cost gym chain, we're a pretty lean business, so we are doubling down on making sure we understand our cost control and sorting our efficiency and thinking about how we use technology to really enable and accelerate that. But also on the other side, what, what does this current um, situation give, give rise to in terms of opportunities? So from our point, it will be what's our consumers doing in terms of their own fitness and wellness and their nutrition? And are there other opportunities that are there for us? And how can we reserve some time and some spend to be able to look at those? And maybe that's working with partners or whether that's working with other interesting companies who are doing stuff in that space or things we're doing ourselves, of which we, we've tried both over the last few months. But I think you've got to find a way to keep your core and support your business surviving and doing what it's doing, but also find space to do the, the, the new and inter interesting stuff as well. Christine, I'll come to you next. Interesting sector you found yourself in at the moment. Clearly, you know, other macro trends recurring as well. What's your position on whether some of those perhaps more fun, exciting things that were on the horizon should be put back, I'm afraid? I think um, never let a good crisis go to waste. And so obviously the energy sector has been uh, quite turbulent in the last year, um, but actually it's given us opportunities um, for the first time, uh, consumers are really thinking about their energy usage. They have a recognition about the global energy and where it's coming from and Russia's part in that. And so I think actually there are things, and uh, particularly when we're looking at machine learning, there are capabilities that we're building out that will help uh, consumers to really think about how they can be most efficient, which uh, this current period is to drive down cost for them, but also is more efficient in terms of energy usage, which is greener. And so I think that there are certain technology trends that we will definitely be increasing and accelerating. Uh, and then there are other things we're unlikely to be spending much on quantum computing. And there's things like that where obviously there are companies that are invested in those technologies. Um, so I think that we are we will pick and choose the ones, as Andy says, pick and choose the ones that are most relevant to us. I, I think it, the danger in a downturn is that you go into cost-cutting mode completely. And really, that's really dangerous because you can't really recover from that too easily. Really quickly, what are those technologies that you're looking then to up upstart rather than per side? So definitely technologies around uh, machine learning, AI, both in cost optimization of our operations, um, but also, as I say, in terms of our products. But then as you think about the energy ecosystems and you start getting electric vehicles um, plugged into the grid and being able to give energy back to the grid or to power other things in your house, you start getting into Internet of Things. And so looking at that smart technology and, and the con connectivity between different devices. It's not all or nothing with some of these things, right? There, there will be still be good use cases and opportunity in new technology. 
in the not-for-profit space, things like you know cost efficiency run core through what we do. But it's not just about cutting costs, it's about looking for efficiencies and effectiveness increases as well. So I think if you can still find the use case, if you can still find the space to experiment without going full fat and you know, in, a, in a large grandiose sort of project, I think that can still pay benefit and actually potentially help you with the, the traditional cost cutting, quote unquote, that you would have otherwise fallen fallen back into. So I think that that for me is certainly what I've got in my mind. Great question, because actually the business that I'm in is in big technology. And so I work for um, a pharmatech and we do drug discovery using artificial intelligence. And so we can't exist without this big technology. We are exploring things around quantum computing, machine learning, artificial intelligence. That is our business. So actually, this these kinds of technologies are here to stay. And they're just going to become deeper embedded into society. I don't think it's going to be business that's actually going to decide if we shelf it. I think it's going to be the consumer because a lot of trust has been lost in these kinds of technologies or the businesses that are pushing these kinds of technologies like the Facebooks, rebranding as Meta. I don't know that that actually dissolves the trust issue that exists. So I think trust is going to be the vehicle that will then encourage more adoption of these bigger technologies across industries. And you mentioned, Eileen, just on, on doubling up on what you've just said there, you'll look more at quantum and AI because that's, that, that's the remit of your organisation and the purpose almost. How, how have you had to adapt your strategies for the next six to 12 months based on what we've seen the last year? Or actually, um, is it a case of doubling down on what you already would have done? We have had to make some slight adjustments in response to what's been going on in the world. But no, it has not changed what we're doing, how we do it. It has possibly influenced the velocity at which we're trying to achieve our mission. It's it's actually increased the velocity. There's a, there's a greater sense of urgency. But generally and strategically, no, it hasn't really influenced it. Well, that nicely leads me on to questioning Leon, really, which is, first of all, looking at some of the clients you're working with in the industry as a whole, do you think we are actually entering into a downturn? Um, from our perspective of working with a lot of different clients, we haven't seen anything that resembles some of the previous crises where it was very obvious that uh, uh, there is change in response to what is happening. I think this is a more prolonged thing and it's not very clear yet. Uh, we, we're not officially in a recession, for example, so we don't really know, you know, it's, it's everybody's trying to guess. We're not seeing a huge amount of uh, change in the way our clients are operating. And I think also going back to the pandemic, I think a lot of organizations feel that they can push through change and continue on their trajectory, even when something big is happening. Um, and maybe when you look back to those times, things don't, just don't look so bad anymore. <laughs> you know, in, in, uh, in, uh, in contrast. The deer was already reached. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe we reached, we're, we've been somewhere so deep that now it just doesn't seem so deep. But we, we don't see a huge amount of change, yeah. And then would that extend then to the technology team? So with tech leaders looking at the strategies for the year ahead, do you not see much change with that perspective and what can be achieved? Um, I don't think so. I think the, the smart organizations are uh, continuing to invest. I think that, um, you know, even if, if there is a downturn, I think it is good to invest in a downturn. There's a lot of opportunities that are opening up. Um, I think that some organizations might think that, you know, one of the biggest dips at the moment is, is tech. 
you know, uh, Nasdaq is down like never before. Uh, well, there's been times before that it's been down. And I think that's why smart organizations, again, are going to look at that and say, this is a blip. We need to continue working and making our organizations uh, be able to compete with that. And we're going to continue to invest. Yeah. Okay. Andy, I'll come on to you next then, because Pure Gym growing quite significantly in different markets as well. Um, and it's, it's, it's a leisure part of the industry where, you know, perhaps the, the, the falls of the industry might be different to energy, for example. So have you thought about adapting or changing your strategy or your vision for the year ahead based on what we're seeing macroeconomically at the moment or not? I think there's, um, look, look, we're a consumer-led business in, a, in, a value, in the value sector. So we're, we're really affected by what's going on at the moment. Our understanding um, how our members, our customers um, react and behave is something we're in, you know, very on top of because cost of living crisis is affecting our core customer base, you know, and, and understanding what, how they're reacting to it. We've seen our numbers were coming back post-COVID. Um, they've sort of stalled about 90% of what, what it was. Um, and we think that 10% aren't coming back. You know, we think that's a, that's a portion of the member base that have found other ways of finding their fitness and lifestyle kind of, of uh, behaviors. So we spend a lot of time on, so, so we've, like um, Christina, we've got um, a lot of investment in machine learning. So we do a lot pretty sophisticated for our part of um, our sector, a lot of analytics on our user behavior and our, our member behavior so we can understand churn and understand in a what is essentially subscription business um, how we can react to that but in, in other aspects we're thinking about well what do we want to do outside of that so how do we work with other other people and other partners who are doing interesting things so maybe in the home where we're not naturally operating right now but we may do it may do in the future um, and then just understanding how that works across different markets so as you said we're in we're in europe we're now in the middle east where they say kind of cost of living crisis what cost of living crisis you know that 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 is helping us diversify and spread the spread the low. But um, at the moment, it's really just trying to keep our um, our options open in a number of fields, but keeping a very close eye on kind of consumer behaviour and really understanding how how it's really affecting the end user. I'll open this up then to the rest of the round table based on that perspective. So when we think about your ability to action your vision for, for the year ahead, we've heard from Andy his perspective. Different markets have different perspectives. Fair. Anyone else want to add their thoughts on how your vision has been impacted? Um, and I guess how predictable that is, whether, whether that's something that's taken you by surprise, maybe. I, th I think for us, 22 has been a, a challenging year because there's, we've had to react so much to the market and to what the government has brought in in terms to reacting to the market. And my only development team is in the Ukraine, which obviously has had um, my offshore, only offshore development teams in the Ukraine. So, so we've had a lot of things that we've had to react to really quickly. And so I think actually, because we're doing our 23 planning now, the really good thing about where we find ourselves now is we feel that for 23, it's quite pivotal we bought um, a very old, full of legacy technology company in SSC. We will migrate onto our new technology stack and actually that frees us up to start looking at all the things that we set out to do. That I think actually 22 has been the year that we've been most impacted. I'm going to regret saying this, aren't I? You're <laughs> smiling at me, yeah. you're smiling at me. Might regret it, but 22 has been really impacted. I think 23, I, I'm more hopeful 
that actually we have the opportunity to really drive energy saving, which is we're probably one of the few energy companies that don't want you to use energy if you can help it. Um, but also the decarbonisation agenda, which is what we set out to do. And so I think 23 for us is a really big year. And I think that we have the focus to deliver on the vision and really start. And that's via that acquisition that you mentioned. Yes, so the acquisition brought a lot of complexity, particularly in the technology estate that we've been working through over the last couple of years. Eileen, Paul, from your perspectives, have you initiated and activated your talks about 2023 in the same way that Christine and presumably Andy has done too? And do you have to share that same optimism? We are already thinking about the next two to five years, like um, Christina says, and we we we. It's not easy for many, and so we made some very sensible and considered decisions a while ago when we knew this was our mission, this is what we were here to do, this is what we wanted to achieve, you know, abundance of drugs. And as a result of making those sensible, considered decisions quite early on, we're in quite a good place today to continue to drive forward on the mission. We've gone through this huge growth in the last two years, and to give you context, you know, um, two years ago, there was like 80 members of staff. There's now 450. So that just gives you an idea of the how the organization is scaling and responding to the mission. So I think that we've we've done our planning already that has set us in a good stead to go forward into next year. And we're now thinking about and um, what next, what beyond that? And I think it's the what beyond that that will be affected by what's happening in society today, what's happening in the world today, and and that so that's still a little bit foggy. I'm still I'm eight months in it, honestly, and our, our technology landscape management process is, is kind of our job by design. It's more of a pipeline than a defined roadmap. But we can't kid ourselves and think we're not we operate in a vacuum, right? The things that are happening out there in the world are, are affecting our customers, our supporters, the people that work for and with us. Um, we can't ignore any of that. So I think to Eileen's point, whilst it, it may not change what we're going to do, it will certainly change when we do it or, or how we do it. And I think having that agility and mindset will allow you to react better. I mean, for me personally, it feels like we've leapt from one crisis to another over the last two to three years. So crisis management, you know, and agility is also becoming the norm for us as well. Um, but someone else said, you know, don't waste a great crisis. I mean, we wouldn't have got the remote virtual working setup we've got now had it not been for COVID. So I wonder what, what fantastic things will come out in the next 12 months. Paul, you mentioned you're, you've really only been in the role for a few months. What has been your priorities then, relatively new into the role? And, and given, as we've discussed, the year ahead, has that changed since taking on the role? It hasn't to a sense, yeah. I mean, we've had to do a lot of situational awareness as part of defining our strategy and where we want to go. So we've started having conversations about, you know, for, for us in the not-for-profit, is our income likely to go up or down? What is our supporter base like to be focused on? Will we have their attention? What will their propensity to give be? So all those things we have to kind of think about. I think in terms of how it affects next year for us, I mean, we too are in our budget planning process right now. And, you know, and that is being affected by, you know, what will happen with inflation and what will happen with people's affordability and what they deem as critical and non-critical spend. I can't sit here and say I won't be affected because I, I will be. Um, but in that, maybe there's opportunity because I'll maybe have to try and do things in a different way that I would like to have done. So Eileen, we'll come back to your point about growing the team because that's a really good point. I think it's vital we think about not just the business entirely and your vision as tech leaders, but also how your team are managing that. So when we think about all of the parameters of change that is likely to occur, 
and the optimism that we've heard and obviously the solutions and technology you want to invest in which is part of the business Eileen particularly how, how have you translated all of that to new team members who are probably on the one hand very excited to work with you but also conscious of the the climate that, that they're working in now in the business the majority of the business speaks science and actually, when you bring in technology people, they don't really understand the science. They don't understand the language. And so there's this real translation that happens. And that's the first challenge that we, we have to overcome. Just to help them understand the vision. A lot of people are actually attracted to this business because they believe in the mission. It speaks to one of those fundamental values that people have about making a difference in the world. And we're, we're, we're a bunch of innovators. Everybody who works here are just innovators. On, they have an entrepreneurial spirit about themselves. So everybody feels like they are empowered. They can make a difference. They have autonomy. So that's a really attractive thing for a new member of staff when they join the team. So a lot of the hard work's done because they're driven by the mission and they believe the belief. From your position, are there some universal take-homes about how a tech leader uh, should guide their tech teams um, through moments or climates or contexts of change such as we're facing? Um, I think the most important thing is to continue building, continue doing what you're doing. Uh, you have to reassess the priorities, obviously, but you have to continue. And like it was being said, don't want to lock down and stop doing things. And I hope that... Um, Again, going back to the pandemic, I think a lot of organizations realize that even in the time of crisis, they can continue doing business, they can continue changing. Um, and some of them been set already on, on that trajectory. Um, so I think the most important thing is, is kind of ignore what is going on and concentrate doing what you're doing and delivering value and, you know, enjoying your work. I think as a technologist, that is super, super important. Um, obviously, People have, you know, personal uh, things going on a lot of times at times of crisis. And obviously the world could be going through different things. But um, I think focusing on a mission and, you know, like Aline said, um, you know, having a good mission that people can sign up to, that they can uh, pursue focusing on that and continue building. I think that's the most important thing. I think you have to be really open with people and and. Obviously, there have been a lot of challenges. Um, so firstly, with the situation in Ukraine, we had to be obviously really human and think about the people first. I mean, obviously, that's more important than anything else. And so um, I think being open and, and keeping communication and just ha trying to do your best through a situation and be as supportive as possible. And then in terms of, you know, we did our, our Q3 planning and two weeks later, the energy crisis really hit. But there's nothing as scary as a Daily Mail headline. So, so actually, the best thing you can do is talk to your team and say, I know that we'd planned to do all these things, but now we're doing these things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the reason we're doing these things is that there are a lot of very vulnerable customers that need help. And so actually, that's what we're going to be focusing on now. So people will get it. I, th I think you just need to take people with you and keep the, the low open lines of communication and allow people to ask questions and share their fears um, and just work through it together. And on the flip side, what about the CEO and board? How do you man manage, if I can again use that word, their expectations of what the company should be doing versus what you are all seeing on the ground? 
I mean, I think it's just the same communication upwards, isn't it? And so if you think about the situation um, we're in is we have a lot of complexity we're trying to move away from. And there's lots of things people get very excited about all the shiny new things. And you do have to keep going, that's great, but actually there's some hard yards and we do have to focus and get through this bit. And so I think it's just being able, we spoke in another panel about storytelling. So it's being able to make sure that you are articulating exactly where you are, why you're in the place you are, and actually how to move forward and, and take people with you on that story uh, so that they understand and, and trust you to do the right thing. So I think this is the time you have to earn your money as a, as a leader. So it's very easy when times are good and there's lots of capital around and we're doing cool projects. That's a great time, you know, that's nice. But actually when times are hard and you've got to be the person helping your own teams understand the challenges as a business, calming them down and making them realize what we have to do as a, as a team, reminding people, I think we're all lucky here to be working in reasonably mission-led businesses. You know, we're, we're lucky that if everyone does their job in my business, people get healthier. That's a great, great place to be. Um, but, you know, finding, that, finding that, um, that kind of North Star to refocus people on and remind them, I, I think that's is really important. So I've been doing more communication, more, you know, more team meetings, getting people together, because it's at times like this where people are wondering. I remember in, you know, my business was closed during COVID. I'm dealing with people who wondered even if the health of fitness business would exist at the end of the pandemic. Um, so we, as we're all sort of bounding from one crisis to the next, um, it's really important that as leaders, we're out there reassuring our teams. One question that's just popped into my head whilst you're speaking, Andy, is in times of downturns or suspected downturns, do you find yourselves talking to your peers in the same sector or, or geography more often, maybe to compare notes? Or is that something that is it, it's actually it's still anti-competitive? One of the values we bring to our customers is our cross-pollination. So we work across several sectors and being able to see different people solving similar or different problems and cross-pollinate that, it's, uh, it's very beneficial. So I, I always find inspiration in talking to people working on different things. Uh, I, don't, I don't really change that, crisis or not crisis. A lot of times you, you learn how to deal with a certain problem within your sector that nobody has perspective on in a completely different sector. Um, same with roles, um, you know, you can be talking to non-technologists and learn something that's going to change completely how you work. So I think always getting different advice from different types of people and different type of sectors, I think, is beneficial. Has anyone sort of seen that firsthand, um, speaking more with your peers in different sectors? Um, and, and if not, perhaps, is that something you consider? So we're always out looking. I mean, I think that's an important thing. You've got to be careful in terms of, so for us, we, we talk to leaders or similar large chains in South America, in the US, places we're not competing. But I think then you just have to sort of think laterally. The first time I, I, I worked at Virgin Active before uh, a few years ago, and when I first got that job, the first person I went to speak to was actually Christina. She was working at the FT at the time. And, it, and it, you make that thing of, well, hang on, we're a subscription business. They're a subscription business. What can I learn? You know, and I think that's the you've got to sort of think laterally about what are there, you know, what other comparators are there, not just in your own sector, but you've got to look wider. Did you learn anything? <laughs> yeah, it was incredible words of wisdom, yes. Yeah. He's <laughs> And just on that, on that, Paul, I'll come to you next, because obviously your sector um, as non-profit, do you find yourself sharing 
those insights more often than the private sector or is that perhaps a bit of a naive position of mine? I believe as a technology leader we're generally stronger together. We're 90% of what we focus on is transferable in terms of providing services and making, you know, critical, providing critical advantage to the organisations. Um, so I, I learn a lot. I mean, I, I try to be resourceful in what I do because at the end of the day, the challenge that I might be facing for the first time, someone else may have navigated three or four times over. So why wouldn't I ask that question and, and seek to learn? Uh, and if I don't do that, I think that's a little bit ignorant of me. But that's why we attend events like this, right? It's why we share our knowledge, why we share our ideas. And I think that's the way we help our team too because they're, they're head down, they're against the grindstone. Someone has to look up from the desk to the horizon to say, how can I help my team? How can I provide ideas, additional perspectives, new insights, whether that be in, in industry or not? I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from the automotive sector. I've learned a lot from others that are in the not-for-profit, not in the not-for-profit sector, because, you know, customers, supporters, it's still, it's still a, you know, a demographic we're trying to attract and attain. So I think, I think there's a lot in it, and I think we have to be open to it. All future is uncertain. <laughs> that's, that, that's the premise of it all. But it sounds, seems particularly uncertain at the moment. So what would be your one bit of advice to a, another technology leader to calm them or to advise them on how to calm their team, get them prepared and organised for a particularly uncertain future? Christina, sorry, I'll go with you first. Advice, one piece of advice. I think, honestly, the biggest opportunities do come out of uncertainty. And, you know, we all saw it with COVID. We'll see it with the energy crisis. And so I think actually it's just how do you take and look for the opportunity um, that perhaps you wouldn't have been given before? None of us would have been able to work 100% remote apart from COVID happening and putting in all that technology. And so I think take the opportunities as they come. So see it as the upside rather than downside. Yeah, I'd build on that point. I think constraint always breeds creativity. So you've got to look, try and look for the positivity. We're really lucky to work in the technology field where pretty much the, the only way to make the most of these situations and to you know, be leaner, faster, more cost effective is to use technology effectively. So that's an amazing place to be. I think you need to find your place where you can immediately add value and demonstrate that. And I think that's if you can sort of hone in on that, you, you'll, you'll be fine. Try and remove friction in the business and maybe add value. Um, one of the ways that I'm looking at going to do this next year is actually to look at where people, process and technology intersect in order to drive efficiency, pace and innovation across the business. So that's automating some of the processes that people might do with the technology. So if you look at where these intersect, you can actually drive innovation and change and add value without having to look beyond and fear the unknown. The only constant we're facing is change. So I think my, my advice to you all would be to have a good disruption management approach because we will have industry-led opportunity, we will have customer-led opportunity, we will have trend analysis that gives us insights on what we should pivot to or focus on, and we will have innovation through technology roadmaps and products and services that come to market. So I think the ability to react to that, to sense for it, to understand it and leverage it is probably the most important thing for me. Leon, let's close the roundtable with you. What's your main bit of advice? I would say continue uh, delivering value, like has been said here. Um, and the best way to do that is to concentrate on your users. That can be your customers, that can be internal users within the organization. Continue solving their problems. And they, maybe you need to reprioritize things because the world is changing. Continue reprioritizing, but if you focus on that, I think uh, you will succeed. 
Fantastic. Well, I think if I could sum up this round table in a, in a sentence, it would be necessity is the mother of all invention. <laughs> um, but thank you all for joining us uh, today at the studio. Really appreciate your wisdom and the leadership and obviously uh, interested to see how this progresses moving forward. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. This has been The Studio. Thank you.